So one day I went to him and said, "I'm going to be a hardworking. I'm going to be financially independent, emotionally independent. I'm not going to become a wreck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need your blessings." Yeah. And he said, "Come, give me a hug." I said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Why do I have to go to school if I do all of that stuff?" So I negotiated a one-year sabbatical from the poor old man then, oh, wow. and I decided to pursue a career as a cartoonist. And in that one year, I did so much, Vijay, mm-hmm. so much. that there's no way he would have forced me to go back this is episode number 79 of the inspiring talk with ragva kk welcome guys to the inspiring talk my name is vijay gautam i'm host for this show each week i interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential Hey, welcome to this episode of the Inspiring Talk. I'm super pumped for my guest Raghava KK. Raghava was named by CNN as one of the 10 most remarkable people of 2010. He is a multidisciplinary artist and storyteller whose work is shown in galleries and museums around the world. Raghava quit his formal education at the age of 18 to start his career as a newspaper cartoonist. Today, He is considered as one of the India's most successful young artists. Raghava often collaborates with other artists including American musician and singer Paul Simon, a FIFA award-winning perfumer Ian Vajnia, and so on. He is a four-time TED speaker and one of the most charismatic people that I have ever encountered. I met Raghava at a forest festival and got an opportunity to spend time with him. He has profound insights to share about entrepreneurship, collaboration, storytelling and more. On this episode, you will hear us discuss on those topics. Before we jump in, you may like to subscribe to the Inspiring Talk podcast so that you won't miss upcoming episodes with some of the most inspiring people that I bring on the show. Now, enjoy the conversation. Welcome back inside this episode guys. I am here with Raghava KK. Raghava, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to be here with you. We are here at this amazing festival F of X and uh, for the last 2 days I have attended all 3 of your sessions and I wanted to have you on the show but I had no clue what am I going to talk about because you have you know a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> Too many things. When you did this talk today about your story and i find it very very inspiring uh, and a lot of people listening to this podcast you know wants um to learn a lot of thing from you know people who have done and made it big in their life so raghava you left your school at 18 uh from the you know traditional formal education system so were your parents cool about it like how was uh, the uh your your childhood growing up because i want to understand uh, the family background that you come from so that that allowed you to probably experiment not only leaving a school of formal education at 18 but after that you were touring across the USA which we'll talk about in a moment so yeah you see i come from a very unusual parenting background uh every male member in my family is iit iim brings back ivy league decals for our 
classic ambassador car. <laughs> and I was like, we have all the stickers of all the universities. You don't need me to bring one more back. <laughs> uh, but my, you know, just to give you an example, my older brother was the top of the batch. He was like 98, 97, 99 in all his exams. My twin brother, we are three of us, mm-hmm. uh, was always getting 80s. Mm-hmm. And I was in my 40s and 50s. So one one year I came home from school and I had, I'd gotten 60s in my my exams. And we went out for a celebratory dinner. And uh-huh. my mother said, see Karthik, you've always been 98, 99, you've not got 100 yet. Mm-hmm. Keshava, you've always got your 80s. Look at Raghava. He's gone from 40 to 50 to 60. We are celebrating this guy. He's the achiever of the day. And they were like, what? So that was their philosophy. We were never compared. We were actually given a chance to thrive. And we just had to grow. That was the motivation behind. And my father comes from a very philosophical background. When I was seven years old, casually while passing me Thai Sadam, which every South Indian eats its curd rice. Mm-hmm. He says, Raghava, who are you? Mm-hmm. I said, Pa, what a silly question. I'm Raghava. He said, but if I change your name, I named you. If I change your name, will you change in front of me? Mm-hmm. I said, no. He said, who are you? I said, I'm this person. He said, every person in this body changes. Every cell changes every seven years. Who are you? I said, I'm my thoughts. If he's, and then he said, if they're your thoughts, whose thoughts are they? Hmm. Damn, existential crisis at the dinner table every day. So I was How like, old were you? I was seven. Wow. Yeah, imagine having to deal with existential <laughs> crisis at seven. Um, and then I said, I'm my feelings. He said, who's experiencing the feelings? You can't be a feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I said, oh my God. We, we went on and we came to one conclusion that changed my life. Mm-hmm. He said, we are all storytellers. We came to that conclusion. Wow, beautiful. And he said, if we are storytellers, can you live the best story you can tell? And that became the core of my existence. So I even listened, put on A.R. Rahman music, went to wherever I travel and I pretend I'm soundtracking my own life, my own story. Mm-hmm. Wow, I think it's so beautiful that you say, first, your parents celebrated the continual progress that you were making, yes. right? The, you know, even if it's like a, not you are not in the 90s or 80s like your brother but from 50 to 60 up 40 to 50 to 60 right so that celebration thing like i think that shapes a lot of uh and and tells a lot about the parents and the and i think that allows you to um you know go and be yourself and probably you know chase for the um and appreciate like the things that you have you know accomplished right? absolutely so, which i think a lot of parents wouldn't do that like they will still compare with the other uh you know Brothers, other sisters. Right, and they're looking at outcome, not growth. Yes. Not the delta, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at the outcome, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And my mother's a very different person. She's someone who believes that all you need is love. Mm -hmm. And she told me, if you can truly love Raghava, I'm not worried about you. Wow. You will will get by. Mm. And so I realized that being able to love Mm -hmm. and see people unconditionally is really what one needs to survive. Mm-hmm. Because we are, na- by nature, human beings are there to support each other. Yeah, yeah. I'll come to that uh, you know, point of um, seeing people unconditionally and loving them because I have been observing you for the past two days and I can see you, uh, you know, talking to people and, you know, accepting them who they are and being that humble person that you are and probably 
um, if you have to trace that back in okay. your life where this humbleness or probably this in your unconditional love, does that, you know, something that comes from what your mother taught you or? So let me clarify. I'm actually a big fucking show off. <laughs> <laughs> I am not humble by any uh-huh. stretch of the imagination. I am also curious and selfish. I want to learn from everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, um, there's this beautiful saying that in in the Vedas, mm-hmm. the word for being alive is mm-hmm. to be hungry. Yeah, you know, and I want my hunger to remain. Without that hunger, I'm nobody. So this is a very selfish act. I when I say I'm I'm a show off, I mean the inner child in me, the light which is within me, is a gift. Mm-hmm. It is not something I created. It's not something I I studied. I didn't earn it. It came to me and I respect it. I love it. I nurture it. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I wanted to shine on the world. Mm-hmm. I want to shine on everybody. And only when you let others shine and you shine with them, beautiful moments are created. Mm-hmm. So it's a very selfish need for living fully in the moment mm-hmm. and getting the best out of you. Mm-hmm. Vijay, you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you said that your dad told you early on and then you guys went to the conclusion that you, we all are storytellers and you want to be the best story that you can tell. Yes. And I think if I look at the journey that you have had in your life and you are exactly doing that, like trying to tell the best story and then trying to be that best story, you know, yes. share with the world. Um, uh, right. So how did this then, you know, the art thing happen? Like out of all the things, like how you got into cartoon? Um, you know, after leaving your formal education. See, I come from a very engineering family, yeah. but every member in my family is a philosopher. Okay. My brother, for example, is an econometrics professor and he studied at, did his PhD at Harvard, but he's passionate about art. Mm-hmm. And he says, if there's no poetry, there's no reason to live. Wow. So, and my mother is an artist mm-hmm. at, at heart but is in love with astronomy. My father is an engineer who's written a book. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've always valued both sides of the brain. But we have predominantly made a career out of engineering. And I'll tell you one thing about uh, South Indian men, probably all Indian men. Mm -hmm. We have been taught to be pathologically, emotionally deficient. (laughs) We don't know how to say, I love you. We don't know how to say, I'm hurting. We don't know how to express our feelings because it's not manly. Yeah. So true. But I think it's brave to express your feelings. It took me 21 years to walk up to my own mom and tell her that I love you mom. Like before like 21 years, I mean, um, it it was difficult because you never go out and like, you know, express your feelings. And even when someone expresses it to you, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Are you shy? I'll say, no, please. Can you acknowledge that I love you? True. I want you to look me in the eye mm-hmm. and accept it. Yeah. Because you have to honor my love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I didn't want to be an engineer. I didn't know uh-huh. I want to be a doctor. I did not want to have a job. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know what the world is about. I wanted to know what it means to fall in love, to mm-hmm. travel, to discover myself. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for a kind of profession that would allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I loved cartooning because... It had humor. I'm a very mischievous guy. Mm-hmm. So cartooning allowed me to bring out that mischief. It had um, 
seriousness, comic pathos is more powerful than comedy or pathos mm-hmm. because it is. You say the most difficult things with humor. Mm-hmm. That, for me, is so powerful. So, were your parents cool um, that you wanted to leave the formal education and probably do these, or they were like crazy, like you know, you are not becoming an engineer or probably doctor or like what normally parents? Do? <laughs> I think I should have become a lawyer because I knew yeah. how to negotiate this exit from yeah. them. <laughs> because I went up to my father; he was having his favorite whiskey, and I said, <laughs> "Pa, uh-huh. I said, what's the purpose of education?" Uh-huh. And he was very philosophical. He said, "Talk about education is about learning how to learn. It's about discipline. Mm-hmm. I want you to be a good citizen. I want you to contribute to the world." And he gave me this list of things, and he said, "This is what education is about." At the same time, whenever he taught me before an exam, he used to say, "My God, these textbooks are hijacked by industrial revolution. They're trying to turn you into a question paper hacking machine." There's no. Under, fundamental understanding of the subjects. I said, "Pa, you don't like our education. Mm-hmm. This is what education is supposed to be." Mm-hmm. So one day I went to him and said, "I'm going to be hardworking. I'm going to be financially independent, emotionally independent. I'm not going to become a wreck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need your blessings." Yeah. And he said, "Come, give me a hug." I said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Why do I have to go to school if I do all of that stuff?" So I negotiated a one-year sabbatical from the poor old man. Then, oh, wow. and I. decided to pursue a career as a cartoonist and in that one year i did so much bijay mm-hmm. so much that there's no way he would have forced me to go back wow beautiful and i love that uh, because i can relate to that a lot uh-huh. because i come from nepal and uh, in nepal if you see today everyone wants their kid to go to us and europe um primarily not not because they want their kid to get like higher education and stuff but they go there and start earning and then you know send money back home and uh, i come from that culture and when i was working and um and especially when your parents know that your kid is capable of getting that scholarship and then go there and then you know settle down there in us right. and then if you are saying that i know i don't want to do this then like that's going to be a tough battle and that's exactly what i have done i told my dad you know what and i have taken you know toefl and i was preparing for gre yeah right and uh, and then here i was thinking of doing this podcast and see if i can uh, you know do some make something out of it and uh, and it was not as probably easy convincing my dad but it was a bit of a tough conversation and i i went walked up to him and one day i packed all my gre preparation course material threw it at a corner of my room and then i said you know what i'm not going to do this give me one year If I can make, oh, you did the same thing. I did the same thing. I did the same thing. <laughs> right? I told them, give me one year. Uh-huh. If I can do something and make something out of it, it's totally fine. If not, then I'll live entire life on your terms. So that's that's exactly what I've done, and I can totally relate to that. And probably so now the question that I want to ask to you in this thing is, but not so many people have guts to walk up to the parent and ask for this sabbatical or. challenge what you know the parents have they right. all parents do not get convinced and what is your what would you suggest or um how would you deal if you know you your dad wasn't that convincing and i i want to say a couple of things about my parents yeah. one thing you should know is one thing they did that really helped me is they always told me i will give you every opportunity but you have to make your own life i will not cushion your life so i never expected them to take care of me 
after I was 18 or mm. 21. Yeah. So I was not babysat by them, you know. So they said, you have to make your own life. Yeah. The second thing my dad told me when I was very young, he said, Raghava, I don't know what's right for you. Mm-hmm. I can never know that because it's you are you. But I can only tell you I have your best interest in mind. So if you want to disagree with me, do that knowing I have your best interest in mind. And I'm so grateful that they did not tell me, don't worry, son, I will take care of you. Come and work for me. I know what's best for you. They never did that to me. So I grew up knowing I had to be independent. Mm. And I think that's the best gift they gave me. Those two things, make your own decisions. And you need to figure your own life out because I'm not going to look after you. Mm. And so that forced, they had that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, it forced me to do my, live my own life. Mm. So, and after that, you know, you started um, doing cartooning and as you mentioned, you did really well that year, um, the first year, and then probably your parents started saying, okay, I think he's going to make, you know, career on what he is. (laughs) There was no stopping me then. There was no stopping after that because now they have something to look back. Um, So, I mean, for me as well now, my dad post, keep posting, like if I get featured on some newspaper or whatever, like he keeps posting saying that I'm proud of your son. You know how and proud I, that makes us, yeah, no? That, that makes us so proud yeah. that you know, having to going through that phase. That's where my son. To, uh, yeah. And like, that's my son. And I think um, it, it took a while um, for them to realize what I was trying to do, but uh, now they are cool. So I think that's the journey for each parent, right? At the end of the day, they want best for the kids. Um, but that initial phase like just going through that fight, um, just trying to tell them like, okay, this is not what I want to go through. And probably this is a different thing that I, I see a different reason uh, for myself. Right? So to make them understand, is there anything that you'd like? To yes, th- there is a secret. Mm-hmm. Because whenever parents says do this, mm-hmm. there's an underlying reasons why they wanted you to do this. True. I wanted to deconstruct that understand the reasons and address the reasons because parents are not stupid. True. Parents have your best interest in mind. So I wanted to find out why you want me to do this to satisfy ABC. I made sure I satisfied ABC, but I didn't do it that way. Yes. So the secret is to, to deconstruct, use their own, understand why they're concerned, understand where their fear comes from yeah. and then address it with mm-hmm. full integrity. So. So in one sense, I did not disagree with them, mm. but I achieved it in my own way. Your own way. Yeah. yeah, I think just being able to show them that I'm still going to accomplish those three things yes. that you want for me, but not this way. Exactly. Right? I think that's a beautiful advice there. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing that you do is, um, so how long did you work here before you started touring for US? Uh, I, I, my first tour was actually to Europe. Uh, okay, to Europe. And within a few, I mean, I was at it. The first year I was out and about. I'd never been on a plane before. Mm. And um, I went to New Delhi. So one more thing is yeah, I, had to, I had to be financially independent. Mm. And cartoons, how are you going to be financially independent? So true. And this is, I'm talking about 1997. Yeah. Right. And uh, I did an exhibition with a group of cartoonists and mm. we were really made it big with that exhibition, but nobody buys cartoons. Mm-hmm. And newspapers were paying me 150 rupees for a cartoon. And that too, if they choose to publish it. Mm. And that too, since I was going for, in a school uniform to see the newspaper editors, mm-hmm. they would say, we'll put it in the student section. Oh, and I said, yeah. no, this isn't, I want to talk about my city. Okay. They did not let me talk about politics. Okay. They did not let me talk about anything serious because mm-hmm. they thought I won't have a 
valid opinion. Mm. So you're trying to get 150 rupees a week mm. if you're lucky. And then you have senior cartoonists who are threatened by your existence. Mm. Then they try to pull you down. Yeah. And these are the people you looked up to yeah. when you started off. And so your your spirit is broken. So I said, okay, guys, you guys don't know my value. I'm going to figure it out myself. So what I started doing is uh-huh. I started going to the HR departments of all the tech companies. IBM I went to and I said, guys, uh-huh. let me interview your employees. Mm-hmm. They're all annoyed. Every employee is basically, you know, is frustrated yeah, yeah, yeah. at some level. True. So let me tell the employees that you hear them, that mm-hmm. you see them. Let me interview them and do cartoons about the life of an IBMer. Wow. And I wanted, I did that uh-huh. and I sold that for 50,000 rupees. Wow. 150 okay. to 50,000. Yes. And it was 1996. 97. Seven. Beautiful. And then I went to the government of India mm-hmm. and to New Delhi. I took, a, uh, I took some borrowed money, went to, uh, I met the government of India tourism. And I told them, listen, you keep selling Taj Mahal, God's own country, Kerala, the same pictures. They don't need to come to your booth at an international fair to see India. Mm. Send me there. I've never been on a plane. Mm. And I will make them feel like they're visiting India. I'll mm. cartoon them. I'll caricature them. So I managed to convince the government. I went to Strasbourg, France. Uh-huh. And I started cartooning people, meeting people. And I said, one request. Give me a three-month ticket so that I can travel through Europe. Wow. I had no money. Uh-huh. Uh, and I landed in Europe, hitchhiked, backpacked, met people, mm-hmm. was adopted, slept in railway stations, yeah. got kicked out of some places like in Montmartre in Paris. Uh-huh. It's a mafia, the cartoonists. So when I went there to cartoon, it was my Mecca because Van Gogh was from there. Mm. The greatest artists are from there. And I went there saying it's my dream to be an artist there and paint on the streets of Montmartre. Wow. But I got kicked out and threatened and almost got beaten up. Wow. Uh, so I learned so much about life. Mm-hmm. And I was always looking for new ways to, because I knew the power of cartoons. Yeah. And I knew that people don't know the power of cartoons and I had to show them, not mm-hmm. tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So after Europe, uh, I think somebody adopted you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would you like to share that story? Yeah. So yeah. I was on the streets of, um, uh, Italy, mm-hmm. in Rome, yeah. in a place called Piazza Navona. Mm-hmm. And this crazy man with long hair walked up uh-huh. and he gives me money. I don't remember how many lire it was. That time we had Deutschmark, French, Frank. Okay. He says, I have five minutes, do a cartoon of me. Okay. And so I did this really funny cartoon of him. He was very impressed. Mm. He said, where are you going? Who are you? I said, I don't know. I'm going with the flow. <laughs> it's the craziest story. I didn't have a place to stay in Rome. <laughs> I remember I walked up to the Indian consulate thinking they will give me a place to stay. Okay. So I remember meeting the receptionist and I said, I want to meet the ambassador. And he said, why? Mm. I said, I'm an artist from India. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he said, wait, the ambassador is really busy. I go to the ambassador drink water and this man standing next to me. He says, hey, who are you? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm here to meet the ambassador. I'm, a, I'm an artist from India and I'm traveling. I'm telling the story of India as I travel. Come to my room. He was the ambassador. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I made friends. He hosted an exhibition for me. Wow, beautiful. And yeah. uh, I actually, uh, he, the receptionist knew this lady who could host me mm-hmm. in exchange for cooking and cleaning. Mm-hmm. So 
that's how I did it. And when I met Luigi Ontani on the streets, he mm. said, "Come and visit me." Mm-hmm. He literally adopted me. But I have to tell you, I have never been to an artist's house. I walked into Luigi's house, and mm-hmm. the first thing I see is this dead, naked effigy of a man, naked. Wow! And hanging from the ceiling. And I thought to myself, "Oh my God, has his twin brother committed suicide? Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on?" And then I go to his bathroom because mm-hmm. I needed to pee, and I see all his sexual fantasies out there in the open. And I thought, "This man is crazy," mm-hmm. but I loved it. Then I go to his bedroom and I see this massive bed. The guy had a big, big black mole on his face, mm-hmm. and everything from the teacups to the mirrors had a mole on them. Okay. I thought this guy is the ma- manifestation of narcissism. <laughs> he loves himself more than anybody else I know in the world, and he's unafraid to show that to the world. Yeah. And I, there's something that was beautiful about that. His bed hugs him, mm. an effigy of himself hugging himself. <laughs> like, what the peep? <laughs> It was crazy. Yeah. And I fell in love, and I said, if you can turn narcissism yeah. into a career, mm-hmm. I have nothing to worry about. <laughs> beautiful so um on both the stories of you know um you going to meet the consulate in europe or going to tourism board uh and talking them that you know this is what i want to do like going out there and putting yourself out there and asking people and i see a lot of people holding themselves back because of fear of rejection so how did you have that courage at such a young age and not afraid of <laughs> being rejected and getting no is an answer can i be very honest absolutely so it's easier when you have nothing to lose to be rejected cuz you accept rejection and you move on mm-hmm. but when you are established and you have to take big risks mm-hmm. it's far more difficult and i think you build a muscle for dealing with rejection from when you start and it was very simple I believe that we are the biggest sabotagers of ourselves. We sit and tell ourselves a hundred reasons why we cannot do something. Why? Sh- I mean, why don't you be positive and say, "I really believe in cartoons. I can really tell the story of India. I love my country, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go there with that point of view." Mm-hmm. If he says no, that's okay. I'll just have to keep trying. Yeah. So I did that, and I went all out. Yeah. And it's okay because I believe. every action there's a reason for it true and I, i maybe i'm i'm silly but i truly believe the universe is out there to support you absolutely and i love the part about building that muscle of you know getting no is an answer yeah um so when i started this show huh. um i reached out to a lot of people asking them to be guest on this podcast right and then when i was just, because i was just starting out not everyone would respond yeah. which is a form of rejection that they don't want to be on your show right yeah. and some people said no i don't want to be on your show and then it hurt like yeah. in the beginning right but now i understand i got better at getting noise and answer and like and i also understood that it's because they think that their time is more valuable than you know being uh guest on this show or probably getting done something that resonates with them because I have also started saying no to the opportunities which I am you know not getting. yeah I'm not getting or something that I'm not right. aligned to and which now I totally get it it's not anything personal 
you hit the nail on the head. I want to say this out clearly. They are not rejecting you. Yes. They are rejecting your product or your idea. True. And if you take that personally, then you're not separating yourself from your product. And I think it's important when you critique your own work, you're not critiquing the individual because that you have no reason or rights to judge. Mm-hmm. It is your innate spirit. If you judge yourself, you are screwed. You never say I'm a bad artist, I'm a bad this, I'm a bad that. So I can be better. It's yeah. the same language. True. And you can say my spirit needs to shine because everybody's spirit is beautiful. You know, one of my favorite uh, uh, show hosts had a little note in his pocket. It said, when you know the real story of anybody, you cannot but love them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that if you truly believe, then everybody is lovable. That's a beautiful quote. That's a beautiful quote. Yeah. And I love that. Um, so what happened after Europe? I, uh, after Europe, I wanted to become an artist. Yeah. I was like, dude, I'm an artist. Uh-huh. I just declared I'm an artist. Yeah. But I did not know how to paint. So how cool was it back then to be an artist? It was unheard of. Yeah. Unheard of. Every senior artist wore a kurta mm-hmm. and was this self-righteous um, person who just never talked to you. They were mystical. They were, they just felt like they were aliens to me. I didn't understand them. They were not approachable. Yeah. And when I talked to them, they'll say, go study art. And if you study art, it's going to beat the spirit out of you. I did not want to do that. Yeah. So, um, it was unheard of. Yeah. And I wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you claimed yourself as an artist. I claimed myself yeah. as an artist. Yeah. And of course, uh, and then... I, I was popular as a cartoonist. I did a lot of things. I even did an art exhibition as a cartoonist. Wow. It was again unheard of. Mm-hmm. And I had to bunk school to go and attend my shows. I taught over 5,000 children cartooning. Wow. All over the world. Yeah. And you know, they taught me how to connect with my inner child. And I keep saying this, when we look at children, there's a difference between childlike and childish. Hmm. Childish is all the naughty things children do, the annoying things, their arrogance, their lack of depth, their everything you associate negative with a child. Yeah. But childlike are the beautiful things about children. Their awe, their innocence, their presence, their yeah. curiosity, mm-hmm. and their lack of ego. And those are the things I learned by teaching children, mm-hmm. cartooning. Yeah. For example, in the Bronx, they would uh, say, don't keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, we Indians say, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So apologetic. They say, my bad. Say, my <laughs> bad. <laughs> they taught me how to be cool about being apologetic, man. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Great. And there's a spirit in that. Yeah. 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 So, and then how, how the whole thing unfolded? Like you were back in India then. Um, yes. From the Europe. And uh, I would save money for every six months. I would save up money and travel abroad. Hmm. And because I got obsessed with traveling abroad mm. because I learned that the world is so much bigger than my model of the world in my yeah. head. Yeah. The world, like I grew up in a small bubble. Yeah. I didn't realize that dads can be moms, moms can be dads. You can have multiple types of families and you can have a tattooed person and you can still be a cool dad. Yeah. And yeah. I thought you have to be the self-righteous, yeah. old, boring man mm-hmm. to be cool, to be, cool. To be, to be successful. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 
Yeah. No, my dad is pretty cool. I'm saying yeah. even as a figure of authority, I thought those mm. people had to be serious and you have to give up your spirit. True. true. That's not true. And I think the thing that I loved about what probably another thing that I'm just trying to process it on my head, um, the one thing that you wanted to be best artist the world has seen. And for that, you wanted to come out of your bubble. Yeah. You could have been there happy saying that I'm the best artist or cartoonist of India or of yeah. like wherever you were. But you figured it out early on that, you know what? I got to be like the best artist of the world. For that, I need to see what other artists across the world are doing. And then, yeah. right? So I wanted to know the limits of the shining of my spirit. Yeah. And you only know those limits when you take it as far as your dreams can go. Dream as big as you can. And I just wanted to see who I can be. Because yeah. I, I am this beautiful spirit mm -hmm. that has limitations of my body and my time and my... I want to know who that is. I want to know what it can be. I want to discover that. I want to shine. I want to grow. So why not dream big? Yeah, yeah. So in, um, as a result of that, Raghava, you have collaborated with some of the amazing personalities and best in their business, um, you know, whether that's um, American designer Joan Maeda or musician Paul Simon or, you know, Grammy Award winning singers. And this is something that you do best, collaborating with the people. What is that collaboration equation? That if somebody who is just starting out, the artist who is just starting out and want to collaborate with some of the best people playing at their best, and how do you go about um, those collaborations? Okay. Before I talk about collaborations, I use the word artist because it was the only career mm -hmm. that had no definition. Ooh. Because an artist is someone who creates an experience of transcendence for somebody. Yeah. When you encounter it, you encounter something beyond reality. Mm -hmm. You imagine a different world. Yeah. And so I wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And an artist is someone who takes a thought, a consciousness from within and releases it to the world. And the process of releasing it is friction. Okay. And so the friction can come from being a painter, mm -hmm. from being a sculptor, mm -hmm. from being a podcast hoster, <laughs> from being a television show, from being a singer. Yeah. And I realized each medium has its own type of friction, oh. but it's consciousness yeah. creating an experience. Hmm. So, I'm an artist, which means I let my spirit manifest. Yeah. Now, it's ridiculous to tell somebody I'm a watercolor artist. How can that medium define you? Because mm -hmm. you're a spirit yeah. and you have so many. So I always wanted to know how are the many ways by which I can manifest my thoughts, my feelings, my, my being. Yeah. And so anything that I was curious about, I decided I'm going to learn. And so I... I, the way I think about it is not through silos of medium. Yeah. I think about it through projects. Okay. What do I want to create that will create this experience? Mm. Do I want to create an application? Mm -hmm. Do I want to create um, and what kind of experience I want to create? And then I learn the skills required to create that. I, I want to, you know, play piano so I can play my favorite love songs. Mm. Doesn't mean I want to be a concert pianist. I just learned enough piano to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a pianist, but I play the piano. Yeah. I'm not a sculptor, but I love sculpture. Mm -hmm. And I bring sculpture into my work. I'm not a technologist, but I code. 
and I ran a tech startup. I'm wow. not a venture capitalist, mm-hmm. but I ran, I was a partner in a venture firm mm. because I wanted to understand how distribution of money affects culture, how all these are ways of my consciousness manifesting. Mm-hmm. And even the venture fund that I did, I brought artists, technologists, behavior, behavioral economists together to imagine how do we manifest a thought in the world. Mm. So for me, everything is art. Yeah. I just look at the canvas as changing, the medium is changing. I think that's beautiful and the way you put it. So you, you mentioned about transcendence. How do you define that? Transcendence is a very loaded word. Mm. It sounds like it's unapproachable. Yeah. But for me, another word for transcendence is growth, change. And the biggest moment of transcendence happened for me when my wife of 17 years told me she did not want to be with me anymore. And my entire life was about love. And I was heartbroken. I had built my dream house in Woodstock, New York, 12 acres, yurts, a lake. I have four children. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was my life. She said, I don't want to be with you. I was heartbroken. There are three feelings I felt. My brother went through the same thing at the same time. We come to India and we start discussing how we are feeling. Mm -hmm. Why should we live? What is the purpose of life? And the three feelings are loss, liberation, and mystery. Okay. So loss because a part of me died. Yeah. There's no longer going to be the same when she leaves me. Liberation because now I can do whatever I want. I can be on grinder, Tinder, Bender, Spinner, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I am single, ready to mingle. Podcast <laughs> listeners, listen in. Um, <laughs> just joking. And the third thing is mystery. I don't know who I'm going to become. And that is what makes me wake up to discover who I can be. Mm-hmm. That excites me. Mm-hmm. If I know exactly who I am, I'm just a machine manifesting a linear path. If I don't know and I'm ready to be there and be present, I surprise myself all the time. Mm. So these are the experiences of change. And you know what I realized? The entire world is going through loss, liberation and mystery. Loss of our humanity, our identity. Mm -hmm through computers and AI and jobs being replaced. Liberation, because now we don't have to do the dirty work we thought we were trained to do, mm-hmm. our labor. Yeah. And mystery, because we're like, what does it even mean to be human anymore? So I think artists, technologists, scientists, philosophers need to come together to dream where humans are going. Mm. And we have to create that human. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. I love that. Love that. So. Um, we were talking about the collaborations, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I was saying, like, how do you, um, that young kid who was very confident about his work, like, and then... I was not confident about my work. Oh, you were not confident about I was confident about my spirit. Wow. And that's, I think, okay. I never let my spirit down hmm. because that's all I have. I work really hard mm-hmm. to do things I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. At that point, there were not even necessarily things I was proud of. Yeah, yeah. So, in fact, this is a misconception. I was always proud of my spirit and I knew I want to be better. That's yeah. all I had. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this quick question before, I mean, that uh, I go to that. The collaboration, collaboration yeah. yeah. Um, 
do you feel today, like at this point of time, from the, you know, you said you were not confident about your work. Like, do you feel somewhere, because I have heard a lot of people, um, you know, Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook has, um, you know, spoken about, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome, that self-doubt, where you are doubting yourself, uh, all the work that you are putting out there. Do you feel some way or have you felt that way in your life? And how do you, how do you deal if, if you ever felt that? I felt a lot. Yeah. So for me, I have felt that only in the moments when I have identified with my work and not my spirit. Because when I identify with my work, it's imperfect. It can always be better. And when I judge myself as imperfect, that's when the imposter syndrome comes in. Or when I judge the success of my work as the success of me, that's when the imposter syndrome comes in. And it happens a lot. It's so easy to get lost. It's very difficult to keep that spirit as the core of your being, your inner child. Mm -hmm. And very often, it's mostly success that makes you feel stupid. Makes you feel, am I faking it? Yes. Because the truth is, you didn't create the spirit. Mm -hmm. It is your gift. Yeah. It's the face of God within you. You can call it what you want. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you feel, I don't deserve this. And then you're doing injustice to your spirit. Okay. Because, that, agree with that? because it's like saying, that for me is God. It's like saying, God doesn't deserve this. Oh. Mm -hmm. It's not me. It's not Raghava. Remember my father said, who are you? It's not my name, not my body. It's something intangible that I'm gifted with. And that I can never judge and I will never judge. And when I stop judging that, I don't feel like an imposter. I feel the spirit is learning to manifest. And you know, I look back, it's been 20 years as an artist now. I look back at older works because people have bought my works over years and they say, hey, I have a work of yours from whatever, mm. 2000, 1999. Okay. And I go and look at it and I'm like, oh my God, it's so bad. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I stopped doing that. Yeah. You know what I do instead? I turn to them and say, you know, that painting is the one that taught me that I can be more. Yeah. That is the innocent Raghava that just poured his heart out without knowing how to shape it. Mm. And I think that's the Raghava that, that grew yeah. to become. And I see that I should sell for more because that, taught, that painting taught me how to be better. Yeah. So now it's worth more. Yeah. <laughs> it's a learning, it's a stepping stone. Yeah. Beautiful. I think just to um, summarize the whole thing about not feeling that you are not adequate or you are not sufficient, uh, probably it's, uh, you, you can always get better at your work. Yes. That you do, right? The pen, whether that's the painting that you are creating or the video that you are creating or the music that you are trying to craft, like whatever it is, like you can get better at it. But if you doubt your spirit that you have said, right? And I think that's, you are suggesting that not to doubt on your spirit. Judge your, product, Judge your product, not your spirit. Not your spirit. So I always ask somebody, there are two reasons why we create art. Mm -hmm. For expression or for communication or impact. Now, if you're committed to an experience that you want to give people, which is a communication, yeah. then judge your product by the experience of it, not by your, your intention. Yeah. 
So for example, if I make a product that I want people to laugh at, mm-hmm. I judge it by how many people actually laugh at it. And not enough people laugh at it, I should make it better. It's as simple as that. But if I made a product to express how I feel, then there's no measure of judgment. It's how I feel. Yeah. So if you want to create a product out in the world and you say, I'm an artist and I'll do whatever I want and people should love it, there's a problem. Yeah. If you want people to love something, create something that people love and measure it by how much people love it. If you want to create something that expresses yourself, create something that just honestly expresses yourself. It's when you confuse these two energies that you want to create something for yourself, but then someone doesn't love it. It gets very messy. Mm. So that clarity of intention defines the metric by which you judge it, but you never judge your spirit. You judge your work and you say, how can it be better? Super. So now let's get back to the collaboration thing. Like how do you, what is your, um, you know, learning about the collaboration? Because you have collaborated with so many people in this, you know, uh, last 20 years of your career, the best in the industry. And uh, at, at that point of time when you were like just starting out and then, you know, you had these people um, helping you out or probably, you know, you collaborated with them. So what was it that you told them? Or what is it that you have learned about collaboration and <laughs> got those people to come and work with, with you? So you want me to give you my secret sauce? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> my secret sauce happened when I saw or met somebody who I was jealous of. Mm-hmm. And through introspection, I asked myself, why am I jealous of this person? I don't want to be a jealous person, but I'm jealous. Yeah. When I dug deeper, it's because I realized that when someone is singing or dancing, you know, when, um, when a great performance is happening, you see a, a glimpse of God in them. Mm. I looked at that and said, my inner spirit is fighting with me and saying, Raghava, why aren't you singing freely? Mm. Why aren't you being so open? That is what I'm feeling. The pain of not being free. Wow. that's So now when someone is jealous, I don't judge them. I say, I hope their spirit shines like mine. Coming back to this, I realized that celebrities, artists get lost in their products, in their stories. And their spirits very often die. With success comes stagnation. And I thought if I can lift the spirits of the smartest people in the world, because my spirit is shining, (laughs) then that is the, the... level of collaboration I want to create. Yeah. And remember, your currency is not just fame or money. Spirit is an attractive currency that the greatest minds will bend rules for. Mm-hmm. So no. I realized that. So for example, when I soundtrack my childhood to Paul Simon, yeah. from Simon and Garfunkel, mm-hmm. one of the greatest musicians that ever lived. Yeah. And I went to him because he discovered me through my TED talk, wanted to meet me. And I thought I'm going to go meet my, the soundtrack of my childhood. Mm. So you want to share that, that interesting story? <laughs> you want me to share that? It was not that, you know, easy. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that easy. Okay. So audience should hear that one. Okay. Fine. Yeah. So I was uh, in New York yeah. painting a nude painting and getting stares from all the mommies walking by saying, 
put that away. You know, what the hell? Man, what's up, man? What's that? And I was just ignoring them and paint, uh, like uh, spraying my work. And I get a call and I'm in the middle of this tense moment. Mm-hmm. And a voice that says, Am I speaking to Raghava KK? Mm-hmm. I said, Who's the hell? Who the hell is this? I said, Yeah, this is Raghava speaking. This is Bob Dylan speaking. Mm-hmm. I said, Yeah. He said, This is Bob Dylan speaking. I said, This is Raghava KK speaking. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? And he's like, Bob Dylan. We went back and forth. I didn't know who Bob Dylan was. Yeah. I. And he said, I'm with Jeff Kramer, who is his manager, and Paul Simon. I said, Simon? Paul Simon from Simon and Garfunkel? <laughs> he was so pissed. I didn't know him. I yeah. think he just gave the phone to Paul Simon. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Paul Simon said, hey, do you want to come and meet me tomorrow? We were doing this album. I'm doing an album and I want you to yeah. see it. Yeah. So... I was nervous, fanboy moment. Mm-hmm. I more than fanboy moment. I've met so many of my, my so many celebrities I've worked with, and what I don't want to do is lose the few people that I love so much. Mm-hmm. In case they're douchebags, right? Because yeah. you love someone, that music touches you, and then they're assholes. Yeah, it's the saddest thing in the True. world. You lose a hero. True. So I was like very skeptical, but I went. Mm-hmm. Nervous, and I sat in the drawing room. I saw all his Grammy awards pictures of him and. The Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, history in the making sitting there. And I was yeah. like, I'm historically meeting this guy. <laughs> yeah. And I walk in and I was so disappointed because he said, I have a job for you. Mm. He didn't say I have a job. He said, I wanted to collaborate with you. Mm-hmm. But he said, I have this album I'm making and I'm looking for an album cover. And I need this size work of this genre, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wait. I thought you wanted to collaborate with me. I thought you saw something in me that was special. Yeah. And now you're telling me this is a job. Yeah. He said, what is the difference between collaboration and a job? I said, a collaboration is between equals. Two people who feel safe mm-hmm. to mess with each other. Yeah. And I said, this is, I don't feel safe. You're like this demigod to me and I'm like a nobody. How, are you, how am I going to feel safe to bring my spirit out? He said, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. And so what he did was he went, next day he called me and said, you know, you have a twinkle in the eye. I used to dismiss people like you in the past. Today, I want to learn from you. I've lost my enthusiasm for life. And that touched me. He said, oh, that means I can mess with your music and lyrics and like mess with stuff. He was like, oh my God, he immediately withdrew. But over a period of time, we really connected. Mm-hmm. And I did a tour. He took my art on tour. And uh, it was the most beautiful friendship. His son and I became close. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, yeah, became very close. I did the tour with him. And when he retired, mm-hmm. he called me again. He said, Raghav, I want you to do the artwork for my retirement, my last concert. Wow. It was called Still Crazy After All These Years. Mm-hmm. And it was such an honor to do that for him as a friend. Wow. And um, yeah, I have many stories of him, but yeah. What I realized is collaboration is when two people feel safe to bring out one plus one is equal to limitless. Yeah. That is a collaboration. So what do you think most people don't understand when it comes to collaborating with at least the people who are a few steps ahead of them? See, ahead or not does not matter. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to Paul Simon because he was a celebrity. Yeah. 
I went to Paul Simon because he plucked my heartstrings. Mm. So I will collaborate with someone who's unknown. Yeah. But if you pluck my heartstring, dude, I love you. Mm-hmm. I will be with you. I'll work with you. Yeah. And so the trick is to create the setting to make sure, you know, young people, they call it collaboration, but they're actually getting free work from someone else. Mm. Or they're trying to get somebody to do um, a part of the work that they don't have. Yeah. And I don't think that's collaboration. I think that's barter, exchange, uh, exploitation, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. So now I would like to switch a little bit of a gear uh, from the artist Raghava, a bit, I mean, you also say entrepreneurs are also artists. They are creating. Right? It's an umbrella term, it's an artist. Umbrella term, right? Yeah. So, um, so now you, uh, you know, uh, mentor to a lot of uh, young artists. And uh, uh, so if you have to look at all the uh, mentors that you have had in your life, other people who you have learned from, what's the best piece of advice that you have got from them? Uh, there's so many people who have taught me so many things. But I had a child. Probably something that I have a childhood love, yeah. best friend. His name is Nasir. Uh-huh. And he was working for my neighbor. His mother was working for my neighbor. And he was my childhood best friend. And we were watching Laurel and Hardy. I must have been seven years old. He was maybe five years old. Mm-hmm. And we were watching Laurel and Hardy. And that boy was laughing and rolling on the floor. Can't control himself. Banging on the floor with laughter. And I was getting so annoyed. Because it was slapstick humor. It was not that funny. This guy was laughing and I was getting so mad I wanted to hit him. And I told him, you're so stupid, Nasir. You laugh at all this crap. He said, Raghava, I'm the one laughing. You're the one sitting and worrying. Who's winning? That for me was such an important moment. I've had so many mentors. He was one of them. Wow, that's a beautiful story. Um, So now I want to, you know, I spoke to your partner. you know, Nihal and uh, I... Business partner, business partner. (laughs) Yo, the millennial generation says partner for everything. (laughs) Your business partner, Nihal. And I asked him, hey, what's that one question do you think I need to ask Raghava? Oh, oh. Yeah. And then he gave me this beautiful question that, uh, you know, I love this because uh, what I have observed... Um, is exactly what you do. And he says, how do you create that scarcity of yourself and at the same time be approachable? Right? So there are a lot of people who are approachable, like a lot of artists in that case, or any people. Like they are very approachable, but they are not able to create that scarcity where people really love the person and that they want to be with you and they want to come there and like, you know, so how do you create this? I truly believe that there is no coincidence. And that's my belief, however stupid it is. I make the most of it. My father said, it doesn't matter what decision you make. It's how you make a decision work for you. Right? So I want to make the most of everybody who comes my way. So I leave space in my life for that. And then I also need time to go deeper into my work. So I deliver. So my secret is 
I'm very present wherever I am. I'm not a slave to my phone. My time management allows for both to happen. So when I travel, I travel with the intention of being serendipitous. So I design serendipity into my life. Mm. And when I work, zero socializing. I'm focused on my work. And if I don't have both in my life, I I cannot uh I cannot create and I cannot share. Yeah. So my socializing gives me a sense of how I contextualize myself in the world mm-hmm. and my creating gets me a sense of how I contextualize myself in my inner world. Yeah, so from uh, I I love that uh, because uh, you know focusing and to create something beautiful to put out there you cannot be distracted. You know you need to be there and like you need to really really focus on what you are creating and it's easier for people to get distracted with all the you know distractions of notifications and social media and gossips and a lot of stuff out there so if we take the lesson that you have learned about focusing uh, and then like going deeper on what you are trying to create and then if people want to implement that on their day to day life on the probably the daily things that's where they need to accomplish and to be right. you know focus and you know implement those lessons and what would what would be your um, thoughts on that you know n- not too many people know this about me I am a planning freak. Mm-hmm. I'm the most free person, but I'm an excel whore. Mm-hmm. I love planning. So what I do is I always start with designing a process. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to achieve this. What is the process I need? And the process refines itself with every project I do. And I leave space for serendipity. I disappear when I'm working focused on something firstly i shut off all unnecessary distractions and one of the biggest distractions are meetings when people meet to brainstorm it's different from meet to get shit done yeah so i have a we have in fact my brother karthik is extremely strict that you cannot speak for more than 5 minutes and get your point across when you're in a meeting so when we get together and brainstorm something it's tuck 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 tell me your point what do you want from me what can you do we're done we go it is critical yeah. but when you brainstorm you give yourself the entire evening to relax go for a walk think about it so you have to design the kind of environment you need to achieve something i also want to say one more thing L- there is no such thing as laziness mm-hmm. there's mental fatigue because thinking about something truly is very difficult. Yeah. It is it consumes so much energy. It drains you. All you need to do is when you feel fatigued instead of going and distracting yourself, take rest and shut down, meditate, go for a walk. Go and I play with my children. Mm. And I look for signs from the universe to connect back to the to yeah. my, myself. I think you have to learn how to deal with mental fatigue with what you think of as laziness yeah. and the devil is actually in the details you have to go down to every detail you have to look at this as a viewer and say is this good enough that's not what i want mm-hmm. i want it to be the best i can do it's mm-hmm. not good enough i don't want good enough yeah. i want the best yeah. and maybe it will not be the best but at least it was the best you could do at the moment and you'll surprise yourself 
And the other way of doing that is to surround yourself with people who can hold you accountable. That's actually a secret, you know. Super important. That's a secret. Creating a creative ecosystem around you. Yeah. Everyone needs their nine one one person, someone they call when shit goes down emotionally. Yeah. yeah. And creatively, also, you need that community, which is why there's no competition among artists. There needs to be collaboration. There needs to be ecosystem support. And I want to tell you something about love. Yeah. If you truly are a lover, then love is unconditional. You cannot have an object of love. I cannot say I love you. I can only say I love. Period. And if that's the approach to creating an ecosystem. You'll be surprised how much you benefit from it, and that's what created Silicon Valley. Mm. That's beautiful. And uh, uh, Raghava, you have done so many things in the past many years. So it's not only cartoons and paintings and that bit of it. Like a lot of things. Like you are a techie, yeah. right? You have learned that. You are a musician. You have learned how to play piano. Yeah. Right, and you have learned a lot of other things, and and you you know there are people who want to learn a lot of things, probably juggling through this, and then how do they go about learning, uh, you know, the things that they want to learn in their life without probably let's say you know diverting from what they want to do, or, but still you know be best what at at the thing. Like, is it is it possible? Okay, let me let me uh, pull that back and let's say, is it possible to be master at a lot of things that you know people want to do in their life? See the mistake. The, there's a problem with the question, Vijay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm a master of anything. Mm-hmm. I think I try to make beautiful products, mm-hmm. and I want to be a master of manifesting my dreams. And it may require me to have a certain amount of technical skills, yeah. certain understanding of venture capital, power dynamics. Everything that influences me, I ought to play with because they influence me. Yeah. Anything that has control over my life, I want to know how to play with. Yeah. And that's why I understand economy. I understand psychology. I wrote a textbook. I mean, I wrote the forward to Harvard's teaching textbook on child creativity in early childhood education, and that's because I wanted to understand how a psychological test is created. How do you arrive at these isms that we take for granted? Yeah. Why am I digesting something without understanding the process by which it's created? So the product was create a process and put it in that world and see how I wanted to learn that. So I don't think it's about being a master of many things. It's being a master of creating beautiful things that actually have communicate your feeling and getting better at that. Hmm. So then um Won't that then delay the process? Like it would take of what for you to create whatever you want to create. Like for example, you going and learning that particular skill set that you require, you know, that is required for you to complete that particular project, versus getting somebody who is already expert on that. That's why I work on multiple projects. You mm-hmm. see, when I have a product that is that is achieved, let's use uh, um. Entrepreneurship lingo. Uh-huh. If it's reached product market fit, yeah, right. I start innovating with the next, hmm. and it may take three years to do some projects. It may take six months. It take four weeks. Hmm. Currently, I'm working on graffiti mm-hmm. and with spray cans. I did my first body of work, and uh, 
although I loved it, it's amazing. You know, there's a morning after test when you wake up in the morning and you look at it and you're like, ah, it's not as awesome as I thought it was. It may take me some time to get there. Okay. And I don't know how it will manifest in my projects. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. And when it does, mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. When I'm ready, I show it. Show things you're proud of. Yeah. And yeah, so actually I'm a very quick learner mm. because I learn with intention, with intent. And so it's easier to learn how to play one song have than to learn the piano. Way, yeah. Have you figured out a way, like a, a hack to learn things faster? That or maybe I need to think about that. Uh-huh. Uh, I think natural absorption happens when you are, when what you're learning has a direct application that lifts your spirit. The trick is to find that. Hmm. But I've not yet thought about it enough. I'll, I'll hack it and come back to you. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Super. So if you have to go back and talk to that 18 years old Raghava who decides to, you know, quit the formal education and take on this new adventure, you know, on his life, what would you say? I would say thank you for being a role model to me. Thank you for, and I hope you'll always advise me when I grow up and I forget why I am who I am. Please remind me when I lose myself that with nothing, I was still so full of happiness and love. So Raghava, do you have someone in your life who holds you accountable or something that you can go back and who tells you that, you know what, you don't have to doubt yourself. Like, you know, you are the best. My brother. Okay. My brother is an economist Mm -hmm. who is passionate about art. Yeah. I'm an artist who's passionate about money. (laughs) On a serious note, he's someone who gives his life to art. Mm -hmm. And he he has stood by me and said, you are an artist. Mm. Every time I doubted myself, Mm -hmm. he stood by me like a rock. And he kept me accountable even now to the highest caliber. And sometimes it's too accountable. Like I'm like... You're just like not celebrating how far I've come. You're just showing me where I need to go all the time. Mm -hmm. But I'm really grateful to have that person. And I hope everyone has at least one person holds them accountable to the best versions of themselves. Beautiful. Now we'll move to this enlightening round. This is where I'll ask you a bunch of questions. Okay. uh, Which I ask to all of the guests. It's uh, pretty much like a rapid fire kind of thing. Okay, let's Uh, do it. So I'll keep it short. uh, Yeah. So try to keep it short. So you have inspired a lot of young artists and people across the world through the art and the work that you have done in your life. What inspires you to do everything that you do? The word inspire comes from the word in spirit. I just shine. It's not about doing anything in particular. Mm -hmm. It's about being present and just shining. So... I shine on people, they shine on me, we shine together, it's resonance. Beautiful. So, um, Raghav, Sorry, I'm being so abstract no, with this totally, answer. That's totally fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist after yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you read books? I'm highly dyslexic, but I love books. So mm-hmm. Thanks to Audible. Yeah, I read. listen to books. Which one is the recent favorite of yours? I am in love with this book that I recommend to everybody. It's called The Rational Optimist. Mm. And it 
it's a rational argument for why optimism is is necessary mm-hmm. and i think everybody should read this book especially people who are, whose hearts are broken by climate change mm-hmm. whose hearts are broken by greed and consumerism and capitalism and feel like the world is a shit place to live in mm-hmm. please read this book yeah so if you have to um so if you had an opportunity to go back uh you know your entire career and do things differently or probably um if you if you think there are, is, is there something that you think you could have done or um done differently or if you would like to change anything or um anything like you know from from the past uh what are those three things that you would probably do differently or think about differently or start early on or, i mean what would be those the things? only regrets i have in my life are the moments when i've hurt somebody without intending to mm-hmm. and I wish I'd known better but I wouldn't change a thing mm. because there's no going back I can do whatever I want now and go back now yeah. I can go to school today we are at a time when everything is possible yeah. we're so lucky to be a part of this yeah. renaissance yeah is there any online tool or app that you use or love particularly um you know whether it's about maybe you know exercising keeping you healthy or keeping you um productive discipline or anything of that sort that you love to I'm not a very app person I'm not a very phone person mm-hmm. I no I need people to keep me keep me in check not apps <laughs> I'm not that no I'm I'm stuck between the old generation and the new generation so yeah I don't like those bloody notifications <laughs> I'm not that kind of person Yeah yeah <laughs> it's my kids who keep me in check my my team my uh, the beautiful people in my life no i i actually get my notifications from human beings yeah. so what is that one daily habit of yours do you think um you know if you have to attribute your success to that one daily habit of yours what that would be it is to wake up in the morning and say i'm so grateful and i'm excited to see the surprises that are in stock mm-hmm. and when i read my emails and i see a dark email mm-hmm. I'm again waiting for the surprise to see what I learn out of it. Cool, Raghav. I have got one last question left for you. But uh, before I ask that question, um, you know, I have this I have got this book and thank you so much for this beautiful art that you have done for me on this uh thing. Uh guys, I'll put this uh, the picture of what Raghav has done uh on this page. I put it on description. You go and check it out. He has created this beautiful cartoon of me uh in front of microphone. So the book is called Kill Your Talk. What is this book about? It's called Kill Your Talk, Not Your Audience. Oh, not your audience, sorry. <laughs> Because yeah. we are at an age yeah. where everyone wants to give a TED-like talk. Uh-huh. So I've, I've coached over 200 TED speakers, National Geographic speakers, all, all kinds of speakers. And I re- find myself repeating certain things again and again. And I think telling a good story is the first step towards living a good story. And so this book gives you very practical hacks. I'm not a big reader as I said. So the content is minimal but it's very poignant. And uh, the idea was mm. how do I teach them simple things that actually matter? For example, there are things like um why establish trust over credibility? Mm. Establish trust because don't show off that I went to Harvard or did this and that. Mm. Talk about why I should trust you because that's more powerful. And I talk about 
small things from delivery to how you have to prepare. It's a book of hacks to help you live and tell the best story you can tell. And I must tell it's a beautifully designed and all the artwork on it. And uh, there are, you know, um, the text is really minimal, but there is a lot of, uh, you know, art in it. I've just, uh, you know, I'm just going through it <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm talking, right? So we just, uh, it's not released yet. It's not yet released. It's yeah. going to be up in a week. Yeah, up in a week. Right? Yeah. So, and uh, yeah. Uh, I, I must say, this is a true collaboration between someone I met at FFX last year. Yeah. And me, mm-hmm. Nitish is a beautiful designer mm-hmm. and the entire process was a conversation with each idea with him mm-hmm. and the art in it is mine, but the design and the art direction is his. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's been an honor to work with him. Yeah. This is an awesome guys. I would highly recommend that you should check this book out. If we are looking at becoming a storyteller, share your story on the stage or with anyone. Right. If you want to put together your story. And it's not yeah. just for Ted. It's about yeah. convincing your girlfriend to go on a holiday or to go the extra <laughs> base. <laughs> it's about anything. Yeah. It could be yeah, anything. 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 We are all storytellers. Mm-hmm. Convince yourself first. Uh, yeah. Probably uh, for your boss, for the trades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, the most it's, it's for helping, yeah. helping people tell the pitch, how to think bigger. Yeah. It's also, I think storytelling is the driving force of change. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have one last question left for you. Before I ask that question to you, how people can reach out to you, probably get this book, what is the best possible way to enter your world? I think uh, I've not been a very social person, but I've committed now Uh because I've been told by a lot of young people that, dude, it's about time you get on Instagram. So now Instagram is going to be my medium of communication with the world. So I'm at Raghava KK Mm -hmm. and reach out to me. I'm going to when the book is out, I'll share the link and perhaps share it with you too. And uh, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from people. I don't think there's coincidence. If anything I said resonates deeply, I want to connect. Absolutely. Guys, make sure that you follow him on Instagram. I list that uh, on the description of this um, episode. And also once his book goes out, I'll update that in the description. If, uh, you know, episode releases before, after the uh, book launch, then I would definitely do that. Um, so here's the last question for you. Raghav. Yes. Bring it on. Yeah. So imagine this, that you are standing on the stage of largest ever built stadium on this planet. And this is like the biggest stadium that has ever been built on the planet. And there are millions of people on that stadium. They are passionately and eagerly waiting to listen to you and the message that you have. And you have been given only one minute of the time to share. (laughs) Putting me on the spot. The most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? I would say we finally have the power to imagine a better world and create it. And let's not look at the past. Let's create the best world we want for ourselves together. Let's create the best. We have the power to change the world today. It needs all our imagination and effort. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It has been a phenomenal conversation. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and having this conversation, making this time out. It's absolute honor for me. And 
Uh, I'd like to thank you for everything that you do, for all the things and work that you have put out there. A lot of people are inspired by the things that you are doing. Thank you so much. And I am so deeply moved and inspired by not only your story, but, you know, the way you are, uh, the spirit that you are, <laughs> and, you know, how humble you say you are not, but you are, um, how humble and approachable that you are, and how you love and appreciate everyone that come uh, across and that, that crosses your path. It's, it's a, you know, truly a blessing to have you here, Raghava. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And it's rare that I feel like I can connect with someone who can interview me and bring out the best in me. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. That, that means a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast. I really enjoyed having this conversation with Raghava and hope you learned something. You can access show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 79. Let me know whom you'd like me to interview next on this show on my Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at the rate Vijay Speaks. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.